please turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. Our sermon passage this morning is Luke chapter 1, verses 46 to 56. Let me pray once more before we begin. Father, we need your help as we come to your word. I need your help to preach clearly and faithfully. We need your help to hear what you have to say and to receive it by faith. So would you send your Holy Spirit to help us to open our eyes and our ears, to move our hearts, uh, to incline them to your word as the psalmist asked for himself. Lord, do us good now by your word to the glory of your name. Through Jesus Christ, amen. Well, before I read our sermon text, I want to ask you all a question. And the question is, when is it appropriate to begin playing Christmas music? We might quibble about the exact dates, but most of us, I hope, would agree that at least some Christmas music should not be played all year round. Come thou long expected Jesus any day of the year, I say. But I hope it's really not that controversial that Frosty the Snowman and Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer don't really deserve 12 full months of airtime. However much we might enjoy Christmas music, at some point... All of us recognize that cute, sentimental stories about imaginary characters just don't have the juice to keep us jolly all year long. Amen. Thank you, Don. Frosty and Rudolph are great for a little while, but some songs are just not good enough to give us joy all year round in a broken world. Oh, this morning we are beginning a four-part Christmas series, which I'll be preaching from the Gospel of Luke, God willing. And our first text is what you might call the very first Christmas song, also known as Mary's Magnificat. There are a few manuscripts of Luke that actually ascribe this song to Elizabeth, Mary's relative, but the majority of manuscripts indicate, and I think that this song is Mary's song. The Magnificat is a Christmas song, but it is not a sentimental song to make you jolly one-twelfth of the year. It is a glorious call to true and lasting joy in the worship of the living God. Let me read to you Mary's song from Luke chapter 1, verses 46 to 56. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked upon the humble estate of his servant, For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered 
the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her, that is Elizabeth, about three months and returned to her home. Well, here is a one-sentence summary of what we see in this song. Mary rejoices in God's grace, in God's name, in God's way, and in God's plan. Mary rejoices in God's grace, in God's name, in God's way, and God's plan. That will serve as our four-point roadmap for our time together this morning. Four points, I'll reiterate each as we go along. First point this morning is that Mary rejoices in God's grace. There in verse 46, as we've seen, Mary begins her words or her song with these words, my soul magnifies the Lord. Mary is making known the greatness of her God. She adds, and my spirit, uh, the deep part of me, rejoices in God, my Savior. Mary is reveling in who God is and what He's done. Mary is saying, when I think about God... And what he's done, it makes me happy. Why is that the case? Look there in verse 48. Mary says, For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Mary rejoices because God has looked on her. Friends, have you ever noticed how badly you want to be looked on. Have you ever noticed how much all of us want various forms of attention? In the Barbie movie, near the beginning of the movie, as the narrator is describing what life is like in Barbie land for Barbie and for her desperately needy boyfriend, Ken, Uh, The narrator says, Barbie has a great day every day. But Ken only has a great day if Barbie looks at him. Now, to be sure, most of us are not sort of as obviously insecure as Ken. Most of us have learned that being desperate for attention is not a successful strategy for getting it. So we kind of learn to play the long game. But if we're honest about what we want, so much of the time, what we really want is for someone, often someone specific, to look at us in some specific way. We do good things and we long for someone to see them and think well of us. We work hard and we long for recognition. We build relationships and we long to be affirmed. We suffer And we long for sympathy. We serve our families and we long not just to be, but to be seen as 
an excellent spouse, an excellent parent, an excellent child. We enter a conversation and we long for someone to listen to us, to look at us, to take an interest in us, to find us interesting and funny. We deeply desire that someone, especially someone great, would look on us. Well, in our passage, Mary is wonderfully happy because she knows that God has looked on her. Mary has found secure joy in the loving gaze of God. And notice what Mary finds so wonderful about God's attention. It's not that God has stroked Mary's ego. It's not that God has looked at Mary and said, wow, Mary, you are Miss Wonderful. Mary's soul magnifies the Lord. Her spirit rejoices in God, her Savior, because she says he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Mary is not saying there that God saw that Mary really had the virtue of humility in spades. That would be a strange thing for Mary to say about herself. That word translated humble estate Often in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, that word is used to refer to the miseries and the sufferings of God's people. The Gospels don't detail all of them for us, but Mary would have had sufferings. And we know that because she was a human being living outside the Garden of Eden. Uh, We can infer some specifics. Mary was a young Jewish girl in a world ruled by old Roman men with a harshness that had not yet been softened by the religion that her son would start. Mary was a poor person from a tiny town engaged to a poor man. So when Mary speaks about her humble estate, it doesn't seem that she's talking about one specific affliction. She seems to be speaking generally about her situation as someone living outside the Garden of Eden, like you and me. Uh, But in spite of all of her afflictions, Mary bursts out into joyous song because she knows that God has given to her an unimaginable honor. Uh, God has made this young woman the mother of the Christ. Uh, She understands that whatever her sufferings might be, God has become, as she says in verse 47, her Savior. And notice God hasn't only given Mary his attention. God's loving attention to Mary entails his action on her behalf. She says in verse 49, He who is mighty has done great things for me. We get the sense that Mary can hardly believe that all of this has happened to her. There's nothing anywhere in the Bible to indicate that Mary did anything or was anything to deserve God's kindness in this way. What does it say about Mary that she herself needs, as she says right here, a Savior? Mary understands that God's generosity to her is all of grace It is undeserved kindness flowing from God to her. 
There was nothing inherent to Mary that would move God to look on her. And yet he has. Mary is overjoyed because in becoming the mother of the Christ, she has received astonishing grace. Well, that's all very well and good if you're Mary. There's plenty of reasons to rejoice if you are the chosen mother of Jesus. But what about the rest of us? Brothers and sisters, don't you know that if you are in Christ, the grace that you have received is better than becoming the mother of Jesus? Listen to this. Later in Luke's gospel, in Luke chapter 11, verses 27 and 28, this is what we read. Luke writes, And as Jesus said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. Who is that? That's Mary. Blessed is Mary. Oh, how amazing to be the mother of this perfect child. Luke writes, but Jesus said to her, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Jesus says to us, you know what's better than having a literally perfect child who becomes world famous and saves the world? You know what's better than that? Is being saved by that child. It's being transformed by that child into someone who hears the word of God and keeps it. Christian, listen, Mary's song that God has looked on her humble estate and done great things for her, it's your song. Sometimes we sing that song like this, Christ has regarded my helpless estate and shed his own blood for my soul. Saints, he who has mighty has done great things for us. In his love and mercy, he has looked on us. So Christian, this Christmas, if you are lonely, if you are insecure, if you are hurting for love, find peace in the knowledge that God has looked on you in grace and mercy. Mary rejoices in God's grace, and saints, so can we. Mary is overjoyed because of what God has done for her, uh, but Mary's joy doesn't sort of stop at what God has done. Uh, Mary looks through God's works and into who God is. Our second and third points really uh, roll together this morning. Uh, Point two is that Mary rejoices in God's name. And point three is that Mary rejoices in God's way. So if you're taking notes, I'm going to kind of treat points two and three together. Mary rejoices in God's name and in God's way. Uh, So in the Bible, your name is your character. Your name is who you are and what you're like. Look who Mary says that God is there in verse 49. She says, He who is mighty has done great things for her, and holy is his name. God's name, Mary says, his character, his identity is that he is holy. 
What does it mean that God's name is holy? Well, last Sunday night, a group of us just finished our book club studying through R.C. Sproul's The Holiness of God. Great time. Praise the Lord. Stay tuned, Lord willing, for future book clubs open to all. Well, Dr. Sproul mentions that the idea of holiness has basically two components. First, holiness means purity. To be holy is to be completely free from all that is dirty or wicked. But second, and and more foundationally, to be holy is to be separate. It's to be set apart. To be holy is to be in a category by itself. Well, Mary here is teaching, I'm sorry, echoing the teaching of the whole Bible that God is the Holy One. So certainly, according to Dr. Sproul, that means that God is pure. There is nothing wicked or false in God at all. But more fundamentally, and this is what's in view here, God's holiness means that He is separate, that He is transcendent above all things. God's holiness means that He is in a category of His own. Mary understands that what God does reveals that there is no one like him. Didn't we see this in our Old Testament reading from 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 2? What did Hannah say? She said, there is none holy like the Lord. There is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. God's holiness is his existence in a category by himself. Uh, as Mary's song continues, Mary specifically highlights... God's sovereign ability to put down the proud and lift up the humble. Mary says God is the only, only one able to do that in a sovereign and unstoppable way. In other words, Mary sees God's holy name, point two, in his holy way, point three, in the way that God alone sovereignly puts down the proud and lifts up the humble. Uh, there in verse 50, Mary says that God's mercy is for those who fear him. Mary says that for all who will revere God, who will recognize that he is God and we are not, God is wonderfully full of mercy. He delights to forgive, to help, to comfort, to lift up all who will humble themselves before him. Mary says there in verse 51 that God has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. We might say that God has sent them packing. It's very interesting. Mary's song is translated with past tense verbs, but very often in Scripture, songs and poems that have a prophetic quality speak about the future in the past tense because it's so certain that God will accomplish what he set out to do. So Mary is saying, in saying that God has scattered the proud, Mary is saying that what God has begun in Jesus leads to the proud being scattered. And indeed, if you read Luke's gospel, you'll see that again and again and again, as God works through Mary's son, Jesus, his is a work that opposes and puts down the proud. Proud kings who refuse to bow to Jesus end up on the wrong side of history. Proud Pharisees who refuse to acknowledge their need for Jesus miss out 
on His grace. Proud disciples who think too highly and too often of themselves and what they deserve, they miss the point again and again and again. God's way is that His mercy is for those who fear Him, who humble themselves, but that He scatters, He opposes, He puts down those who are proud, even in the thoughts of their own hearts. And Mary puts it in beautiful poetry there in verses 52 and 53. Look there. She says, He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich He has sent away empty. What should we make of those comments about the rich? What does Mary mean that God sends the rich away empty? Well, it's very clear from the rest of Luke that Jesus does have a special regard for those who are literally poor and literally hungry. And saints, it's, it's good and appropriate that we would abound in works of mercy to those who are literally poor and literally hungry. But Luke's gospel also makes very clear that God is most interested in the poverty or the riches of the heart. God is most interested in whether you see yourself as rich and not needing Him or poor and desperate for His grace. Luke tells us about Zacchaeus and Joseph of Arimathea, both literally rich men, but who come to Jesus with poverty of spirit and they're not sent away empty. They are filled with good things. Mary is saying that God's policy... His M.O., His way, is that He puts down the proud and lifts up the humble. And that reveals that His name is holy because only God belongs in the category of righteous and sovereign judge with ultimate authority to put down and raise up. Friends, it's sort of like this. A good government serves and blesses those who submit to its rightful authority. A good government also justly opposes anyone who wrongly seeks to usurp its authority. In the same way, when we humble ourselves and acknowledge that God is God and we are not, then God extends rich grace and kindness to us. But when we are proud, even if our pride is in the thoughts of our hearts, As Mary says, what we're doing, as one Christian author has put it, is contending with God for supremacy. Do you realize that's what pride is? It's contending with God for His supremacy. Friend, if if you don't think that you struggle with pride, take a good look at your daydreams. When we daydream about our greatness and our glory that we're going to get by doing what we want on our terms. When we daydream about how if I did this, then people would think this of me. Mary says what we're doing is being proud in the thoughts of our hearts. And we're contending with God for His place in the spotlight, for His seat on the throne. And Mary says that God's way is to put down those who do that, to scatter them. Friend, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, 
First, let me say we're really delighted that you're here. You're very welcome to be here. We, we hope you feel welcome. If you're not a Christian this morning, the Bible has for you bad news and then good news. The, the bad news of the Bible is that we are all terribly proud in the thoughts of our hearts. And in fact, an honest examination reveals that our pride doesn't just stay in our hearts. Our pride ruins our lives. It leads us into folly and rebellion against God. And because God is a good king, God is right to declare war against proud rebels like us. Look there again at verse 53. It says, He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich, the proud, He has sent away empty. Friend, listen, the scary claim of the Bible is that because we have stolen the riches of glory and authority that belong to God, because we have selfishly abused and misused the riches of everything that God has given us in this life, God would be just to send us away empty forever. That's the bad news. But friend, listen, the shockingly good news of the Bible is that God shows marvelous grace and mercy to sinners through Jesus. Those who were in the low and miserable estate of having sinned against God and deserved His judgment. God has looked on them in compassion through His Son Jesus. Or you might say it like this, we proudly usurped God's throne. Jesus left his father's throne above to die in our place. We exalted ourselves in rebellion against God. Christ humbled himself so that we might be forgiven. We grabbed for the riches of autonomy that didn't belong to us. But Paul says it like this, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, so that we, by his poverty, might become rich. Ladies and gentlemen, who else does that? There is none holy like the Lord. Can you see that even in his mercy? Who else dies in love not out of loyalty to their friends, but to forgive their enemies. There is no one like this God. His name is holy. Can you see the holiness of God in the uniqueness of His love and mercy? Uh, the Bible teaches that after Jesus humbled Himself to die as a substitute for our sins, God exalted Jesus because of His humility. Three days later, God raised Jesus from the dead and sat him down at the throne at his own right hand in heaven. And friend, the good news is that all who will turn from their sin, from their pride, from their rebellion to trust in Jesus for mercy will be forgiven, will receive the exalted status of forgiven sons and daughters of the Most High God. Friend, if you have any questions about that, please don't leave this morning without speaking to someone about what that means and about how it can be yours through Jesus.
One more thing to say about points two and three, about God's name and his way. You notice our text doesn't say that Mary understands God's name and God's way. This passage is not Mary explaining God's holy name and his marvelous way. This is a song of joy. Mary rejoices in God's holy name and his holy way. Friend, have you considered that a deeper knowledge of God's name and his way is a path to greater joy, more stable joy than our world offers us? Christian, if you want to grow as a Christian, ask God to teach you to rejoice in who he is, to find joy in knowing about him and his ways. Fourth and final point this morning, we've seen Mary rejoice in God's grace, in God's name, in God's way. Fourth and finally, Mary rejoices in God's plan. Mary rejoices in God's plan. Look how Mary concludes her song there in verses 54 and 55. She says, He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. In these final verses, and really throughout this song, we see Mary's awareness that God's grace to her is much, much bigger than herself. Mary understands that what God is up to in making her the mother of Jesus is a small part of something much greater than her life. Mary takes delight in the world-sized, ancient, prophesied plan of God, the fulfillment of which she now sees unfolding. Uh, Let me point out two features of God's prophesied plan from the Old Testament that make their way into Mary's song. First, you see there that Mary says that God is now fulfilling his promises to Abraham. That's clear from those verses that I've just read. Mary says God has helped his servant Israel in accordance with the mercy promised to Abraham and to his offspring. Remember that in the book of Genesis, God promised to Abraham that he would make his offspring as numerous, I'm sorry, as innumerable as the stars in the sky. God promised to give the offspring of Abraham the promised land as their own possession. God tells Abraham in Genesis 22:18, "In your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed." Well, Mary is saying here that through the baby in her womb, God is cashing in the promises to Israel. He is now bringing to pass what he had promised. God's promises to Abraham are fulfilled in Jesus. And Mary says here that God is showing the mercy he promised to Abraham and to his offspring. Who is the offspring of Abraham? Well, that's a complicated question, but one very simple, clear answer from the Bible is the answer that Paul gives in Galatians chapter 3. He says to his Gentile readers, he says, if you are Christ's, 
then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. God's plan to bless the whole world, all nations through the seed of Abraham, comes to fruition through Mary's son, Jesus, the true seed. Mary's child is the fulfillment of God's plan to bless Abraham. The second feature of God's Old Testament plan at which Mary sees coming to fruition here. Mary sees what's happening to her as the beginning of a new exodus. You might be tired of hearing me say that from our studies in the Gospel of Mark, but it's like Mary and Mark are reading the same Old Testament. Mary's song is chock full of exodus language. When God brought his people out of slavery in Egypt into the promised land the first time, just as the prophet said, hey, God's going to do that again in a greater and more lasting way. Mary's saying, now that Jesus has come, God is kicking off the new exodus. Listen to the parallels between Mary's song and this description of the exodus from Deuteronomy 26. Listen to the parallel language. This is Moses describing the exodus. Moses says, The Egyptians treated us harshly and humiliated us and laid on us hard labor. Then we cried to the Lord, the God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice or saw... Or you might say he looked on our affliction. The Greek word there is our humble estate. He looked on our humble estate and our oppression. Moses continues, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with what? With a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. What does Mary say in verse 51? He has shown strength with his arm. That's classic language to describe God's acts in the Exodus. Moses says that God brought his people out with great deeds of terror. Think he who is mighty has done great things for me. Do you see what Mary is doing? She's packing her song with Exodus language to indicate that the birth of her baby Jesus signals that God is now fully and finally delivering all of his people, not from Egypt, but from bondage to sin and death. God is fully, finally, through Jesus, bringing his people back to himself. Mary understands her child to be the fulfillment of God's plan to accomplish a new exodus. I've mentioned several times as we've studied through Mark that this new exodus is all over the prophets, especially the prophet Isaiah. So those are two features of God's prophesied plan we see in Mary's song. If we had time to make a third point about how Mary is rejoicing in the fulfillment of God's plan, we could consider the parallels between Hannah's song, which happens at the beginning of the story about the anointed King David, and Mary's very similar song, which happens at the beginning of the story about God's anointed King Jesus. But we don't have time to make that point, so I won't make that point. Okay, wonderful. Mary is an Old Testament scholar. She has laced her song of praise with Old Testament references that enrich its meaning. Why does that matter? Well, friends, here's why it matters. If we want lasting joy, we must learn to see our lives in light of God's big plan. 
we must learn to situate our little story in the context of God's world-sized story. Listen, when you think about your life, when you think about your circumstances, if the main character of the story is you, and the plot of the story revolves around your plans, then your life might seem to you like a tragedy, because often our plans don't come to fruition. But if when you think about your life, you see that your life is a tile in the mosaic of God's world-sized plans, right? If you understand that the main action in the story is not your plans, it's God's plans. Specifically, it's God's plans to bless all nations through the seed of Abraham. It's God's plan to deliver sinners like you and me from bondage to sin and death. It's God's plan to glorify the anointed son of David, King Jesus. When you see your life in that perspective, friend, don't you know that that leads to stable joy? even in a broken world. Friends, listen, this Christmas season, I'll close with this. If you want deeper, more solid, more lasting joy than Christmas music jollity, learn this song. Pray that God's Holy Spirit would teach you to draw joy from the knowledge of His grace, of His name, of His way, of his plan. Friend, the joy that Mary sings about here, it's not seasonal. It's eternal. Mary calls herself blessed for all generations. God's mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. God's mercy is to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Saints, let's pray that God would teach our hearts to sing with this joy forever. Let's pray. Lord God, we confess to you the pride and the thoughts of our hearts, that we think little of you and much of ourselves, that we see ourselves as the main character whose glory and plans are most important. Lord, would you forgive us by your Holy Spirit? Would you move us to be those who are humble before you, who fear you, who trust in Mary's son, Jesus Christ? Thank you, Lord, for the riches of your grace to us in Jesus. Thank you that you have looked on us in Christ and done great things to save us. Lord, we praise your name as holy. There is none like you. You alone are able sovereignly to put down the proud and lift up the humble. Lord, we rejoice that your plan for all things has included our salvation. Help us to rejoice in these things by faith. Through Jesus Christ, amen.